Now Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Then immediately they left their nets and followed him. Verse 21, And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John the brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending the nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed Christ. This is where I want to pray. But I, during worship today, I had this, the Lord just kept impressing upon me to, to, uh, to ask anybody in this place if you have a need. We don't need to know the need. But just by you raising your hand this morning, if you have a need on your life this morning and you know somebody that urgently needs God to move or intervene, just shoot your hand up. Thank you, Lord. See all the hands? Great needs. God is greater. Let's pray. Father, in the mighty name of our Lord, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you loved us and that you sacrificed yourself, that you, you left glory, came to earth, lived the perfect life, suffered and died for the world and for us today. And we're so thankful and we remember what you've done. You've taken our sin debt and placed it upon yourself. And we are now free from that. You loved us so much that you sent your spirit, Holy Spirit, to live within all those who believe. So this morning, we are, we are a blessed people. We are a chosen people, and we are set aside for your purpose and your glory. And as that purpose is made full and true and straight and clear, Lord, there are so many needs in this congregation this morning and in your body that we would pray your intervention, that you would move on behalf of every hand represented in this place. Every need represented by every hand would be yes and amen through our Lord Jesus Christ. We bless you. We thank you. We ask that you would just speak to our hearts this morning, that you would touch us and that you would move in a way that would glorify yourself and that it would be good for us and those who are in need of your intervention. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Western culture seems to be consumed with obsession. Obsession. Footnote. If you Google obsession, you might want to be careful. I, I Googled obsession this week just to, for some research. And uh, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it or have your Google safe thing on. It's just a bad thing. Um, but. Western culture seems to be obsessed or consumed with obsession. So I looked up the definition. I went to there for the definition, and I got all these things. The obsession, the different definition, the state of being obsessed with someone or something, an idea or thought that continually preoccupies or intrudes on a person's mind. Everyone is obsessed with someone or something. If we know it or not, this is the truth, especially in Western culture. Us, where we live, obsession is crazy. Um, the list is endless of things that people are obsessed about. Uh, ladies, if this hits you, shoes, 
Women are obsessed with shoes. Guys, too, I guess, sneakers. <laughs> Women are obsessed with clothes, makeup, earrings, jewelry, right? Ladies, no better gift for this Christmas, but big rocks, shiny things, blingage, you know, <laughs> whatever. Obsessed with those kinds of things. I mean, if we go home and we might open up a jewelry box of our wives, guys, and there'll be jewelry in there. You don't even know where it came from. It just accumulates. Some of us are obsessed with careers, food, sex, cars, exercising. Here's one, surfing. (laughs) Not pointing a finger at anybody, but I'm just saying it's an obsession. If you ask a surfer, they will tell you that they are obsessed with waves or whatever happens on that wave. Um, (laughs) Selfies, right? Don't understand. Half of these I don't understand, but selfies. You know what a selfie is? People, for some reason, have an obsession of taking a picture of themselves from two feet away. Don't know why, but they do it. Binge watching. You know what that is? Uh Nobody wants to admit to that. Binge watching is a phenomenon that's going on, and and people are obsessed with binge watching. This is when people have the, the ability to have Netflix or Hulu Plus or whatever it may be to watch a TV series without interruption, nonstop, hours upon hours, never leaving the couch for the day. Saturdays come and go with season one and season two, dinner, season three, or whatever it may be. But we are obsessed with binge watching. Some of you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. Um, NCI, my wife can watch like a day's worth of NCI. Every episode for me seems like they're the same thing over and over again. But NCI, CSI, right now we're doing the blacklist, whatever that's worth. <laughs> Some guys or people are obsessed with hunting and fishing. See, I got me too, man. <laughs> fishing. Some people are obsessed with sports. And we just happened to, uh, as I was searching my obsession things, come up with a couple pictures of people who are obsessed. Sports, <laughs> obsession. These just all happen to be football. I figure we're in church, the Saints, you know, the dog pound, Cleveland. You know, I guess this guy, you know, people get crazy obsessions about things, especially this guy, the Patriots, you know, and then, and then my favorite, (laughs) We, we had to pray about that one. But we figured, you know, we're a vineyard and there's freedom reigns here. So, you know, if that offends you, you, I'm sorry. But we we went with it, you know. Lord, forgive me. The list is endless. Everyone is obsessed with something or someone. The list is endless. The text that we looked at this morning, we see four men who are obsessed. Context of our text this morning, which is huge. You just can't jump into something and think you got it straight. We need to know what's happening before it and maybe after it. But we find the context of our text this morning where Jesus had just been baptized. 
uh, a little more than a month ago, more than likely. Then he was sent, led to the wilderness um, for 40 days, we know, and is tempted in the wilderness. There he finds victory, like he always does, and then he starts his ministry, his earthly ministry. And this is where we pick up our text. Jesus is walking down the beach, down the shoreline, and sees two guys. Simon, Peter, guy we know, Locust's favorite guy, Peter, and his brother Andrew, working with their obsession, fishing, their work, their career. They are, they are, they are doing the fisherman thing. Jesus walks up to them and calls them, and they say immediately, they follow. A little more, it goes down the beach a little further, because we know fishermen don't like to fish on top of each other. A little further down the, down the beach line, shoreline, he sees two more guys, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. It says, follow me, and it says again, immediately. They stop tending to their obsession, their nets, and follow Jesus. That's important in the sense that when we look at, we may look at this text and say, wow, that's crazy. How can a person who is just, you know, obsessed about one thing immediately drop it and to become obsessed about Christ? Well, last time I got to share my heart a little bit, we, we talked about the importance of the profound words, follow me. When Jesus said, follow me to these guys, it struck it was like a, uh, a God moment. It was something that, that changed their life when they heard those words. Because we know from Jewish culture that a boy in the nation of Israel, a Jewish little boy, starts his training or academia at the age of six. By the time he is 10, four years later, he is expected to know the Torah, the law, word for word. Extremely important for these guys. All Jewish boys from 6 to 10 needs to know the law word for word. We think about that and we say, wow, that's crazy. Then for the next two years, they typically have to learn word for word the rest of the 39 books of the Old Testament. Which, again, once that is done, then they are eligible to approach a rabbi and say, rabbi, I've done these things. Test me. So the rabbi would ask him a few questions, and if they were deemed worthy or good enough or the best of the best, the rabbi would say, follow me. Then that child would leave all that he knows, his parents, his, his, you know, his friends, his home, and he would go and live and learn the rabbi way. So only the best of the best. Jesus shows up and asks Peter and Andrew, John and James, who obviously because they were fishermen were not the best of the best because they would have went through this tradition. The rabbi would test the boy at 12 and say, you are either eligible to follow me or he condemns or not condemns, but confirms the man, the boys at 12 men to go and pursue the family business and pray that they have children so that the children may one day follow a rabbi. 
context is important or, or the culture of this, the, the text is important. The goal of a Jewish rabbi at this time, stay with me, okay? Don't, don't just stay with me. I'll get out, away from the culture in a second. The culture of the Jewish rabbis of that time was that the purpose was to fulfill the Torah or to fulfill the law. Jesus said, I did not come to, to do away with the law, but to fulfill the law. So in this statement that Christ makes these four guys and the rest of the guys coming you know, later on, he is calling these men to fulfill the Torah, to fulfill the law. Substantially, hugely important. How do we, as followers of the greatest living rabbi, Fulfill the law. Well, a disciple then and now are called or charged with three things to do to fulfill the law. First, they must learn the scripture. They must learn the interpretations of their teacher, and they must be able to to explain and understand fully the word, the scriptures. Of someone who is obsessed with Jesus will know his teaching, will know his scriptures. A disciple, a follower, will know the scriptures. Colossians 3 and 16 says, Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill our lives. 2 Timothy 2 and 15. Hard work, work hard so that you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. People who are obsessed with Christ is learning his scriptures. George Barner wrote The State of the Church in 2002. And in that, in his writings, he conducted a survey of Christians. Remember, these are Christians. And they asked them about the knowledge of the Bible to these Christians. And he found that 48%, and statistics can say anything about anything, so, but pretty good feel for, for the state of the church, or at least the Western church. 48% could not name the four Gospels. Now, if you're in this, if you hear these things and, and that's you, we're not condemning you by any means. We're encouraging you. 52% cannot identify more than three of Jesus' disciples. We just said, we just talked about four, so we're, we beat that. 60% of American Christians can't name five of the Ten Commandments. 61% of American Christians think the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. 71 of American Christians think God helps those who help themselves is a Bible verse. We may think these things are ridiculous because we are a church who disciples their people. Lucas, Pastor Lucas, does a great job. He knows the heart of God and the heart of the text, and he shares that with us. So these numbers may seem a little off to you, but trust me, been to a few churches a little while in ministry, and I understand that this is a pretty good reflection of the church. So why is the church biblically illiterate? What's the deal? I believe there's three reasons. 
We think that learning God's word is an act of academia. We think that the scriptures, learning the scriptures is higher education, is going back to school. And we just don't have time for that. We just don't have time for that. Two, it's only for pastors, missionaries, you know, uh, ministers, clergy. And three, we just don't think it's that important. It's not that important. Well, we are wrong on all three. It's more than academia. It's so much more. It's so much more. It's more than just for some. And it's a crazy important. It is super, super important. Listen, there's something that special happens when we learn the scriptures. We need to change our mindset from academia to a supernatural move of God in our lives. People who are believers in Jesus Christ, their heart's desire is to see and experience the power of God or a supernatural move of God. Amen? That only happens through the learning of God's scripture. Romans 8 says it this way in the 16th verse. It says, For his spirit joins with our spirit to confirm that we are the children of God. In every human being, there is a part of us who needs to be connected to God. If we know it, understand it, or agree with it, the fact is that God created us in his image so that he could have fellowship with us. The problem is original sin. When Adam fell, that relationship between humanity and a perfect holy God, because of sin, it was broken. So Jesus coming and paying the price for our sins not only restored us um, for eternity, but restored our relationship with God. Jesus is the word made flesh. Here it is. You ever have an aha moment with the word when you read a part of scripture and in that scripture, you may have like never seen that before or Here's an example from the other side. Many times for years, there's been people that I've, that I've taught and preached to and spoken to their life. And, and usually people individually have that same issue, constantly moving, and you're constantly speaking the same thing into their life over and over and over again. Well, one day after a couple of years of speaking life into this person, they'll come up and say, you know what? I heard this message on the radio today. And bang, it made it real. And I'm thinking, I've been telling you this for two years. And, and you get it from a radio program? Which is fine. But the point is that when the word gets in us, God's spirit confirms with our spirit truth. And what that does for us is it makes it not about education or higher learning or academia. It's about a bond between me and Christ and about you and Jesus that nothing can change because 
the God of the creation, the God of the universe, the God who created all things is speaking right to you, right in your heart. The bond that can never be broken is, is made true through learning his word. We only know Christ intimately through his word. Amen? A person who experiences Jesus, the word made flesh, by learning his scriptures will become obsessed with Christ. Obsessed with Christ. And that's the whole thing. It's, it's about having a bond with Christ that cannot be broken. That comes through scripture. There is so little power in the church today is because we don't take the effort to learn the scriptures. What we do is we let pastors and teachers speak that into our lives, which is okay, but that is not the way because we need God to speak to us, me, personally, intimately. I know everybody in the room can, can say amen to that who understands that the scriptures, understanding the scriptures, the teaching of our master is super important. Because my relationship with Christ is the most important thing. God says, if there's anything more important, you're out of line. It's got to be about that. And it only happens through study our rabbis teaching for you and me. Super, super important. If you want a supernatural move in your life, learn the teachings of your rabbi. Jesus will change your life from the inside out. Crazy important. It's not about academia. It's about love. It's about the love of Christ richly dwelling in your heart and my heart and constantly moving to change who we are, to be obsessed people for Christ. I want to be an obsessed person for Jesus Christ. And I pray you do too. It's so much more than knowledge. So once we learn, the first charge is to learn what God, what the rabbi would teach about the scriptures. And to, to, fulfill, the, to fulfill the law or the Torah, the second charge would be to not just learn it, but live it. The, the, the disciple of a rabbi would learn his teachings, his interpretations of the scriptures, and then he would live the way his rabbi lived. And God tells us the same thing, that we are to be people who are obsessed with Christ so that we could reflect or represent who he is in life. Matthew 7 and 12 tells us, do to others whatever you like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the laws and the prophets. First John 3 and 8 says, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Now let's be honest. Very difficult to love people sometimes. There's some difficult people out there that Christ calls us to love. Um, Pastor Lucas, there's three of us guys uh, 
by the grace of God, being ordained through the church here. And we've gotten a reading list, and everybody gets their, their books. And, uh, and they're all different, you know, pointing to their individual call. But there was one book that he gave that all three of us got. And it's about that thick. And, and uh, no, nah, it's really about that thick. And it's the complete book of discipleship. Good, good, good book. And, and through the, that much pages of reading, I got one sentence out of it. Not that I didn't get other things, but this is what was profound. This is what stood out for me. It said that Jesus loved people until they knew it. That he continually loved a person, irregardless of where they are, until they come to the understanding that he loved them. That's profound for me. Luke 6 and 32, I think we got it for up there. It says, if you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for full return. Jesus says, love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward in heaven will be great. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High God. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. In that text, there was a portion in the 35th verse that said, And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High God. If we don't do Luke, six here we will be inward focused instead of outward focused we want christ as to live out the law or to live out as our rabbi lived he tells us to live as children of the most high god when we don't we look what we do is we just kind of huddle and we all stay together and we don't we don't spread out Reminds me of a joke I heard this week, last week, is that Christians are like manure. If you spread them out, they help everything grow better. But if you keep them all in a pile, they stink really bad. We don't need to be in a pile, people. We need to be spread out. We need to live like Christ lived and loved, like Christ loved. To love the unlovable. To allow the scriptures. See, here's the thing. We will never be able to love like Jesus loved and has expressed here in this text unless we are people of the scriptures. Because when we are in the scriptures, God edifies and builds up that bond in us supernaturally through his word. The word is alive, active, moving in our lives. We are changed and empowered by it. That's the only way we're going to be able to live this life. 
that Christ has called us to live. If we're going to live this obsessed life for Christ, we have to be brutally, brutally honest with him. A great word would be raw. We need to be raw with God while living this life. Why? Because we blow it. And sometimes we think when we go to the scriptures and to prayer and we pray these prayers are, are in a way not very real with God at times. We can be people who, who soften the blow the way we pray. And I'll give you an example. Maybe, maybe we're not tracking. So here's an, an illustration. Um, I got saved years ago, and, and it seemed it was, a radical, it was a radical transformation in my life. Went from this to, like, completely different. You know, the old man is dead kind of thing. And for all of first 10 years, it seemed like God did supernatural, powerful things. He answered my prayers the way I thought he ought to. And then one day, some six years ago, I get a phone call, and the phone call is telling me I need to go back up north. My mom is sick. She's not well. So I'm like, it's so good. I got this. You know, me and Christ, we got this. I'm just going to say my prayers and have faith and believe, and, and it'll be good. I'm on my way. And I get there, and the doctor says, there's nothing else we can do. I'm like, what? Where did this come from? So I pray, pray these prayers. And uh, my mother died. At like 60, 60, she died. And I'm like, what? This, this, what? And ever since then, um, it's changed me. And from in the last six years, people would come to me and they would ask me to pray for them and I would pray for them and, and people need healing, and I pray for healing for them, and I'm seeing God heal them and everything. But, uh, gosh, I'm, oh, a friend of mine, two weeks ago, got some really bad news from the doctor. And uh, so I pray, and I throw up that prayer that, you know, you use. For the circumstance and the situation, you throw it up. You know, you know how to pray a prayer of healing, so you throw it up there. And in the middle of the prayer on my way down the road, God says, I'm not interested in that. He tells me, he speaks to my spirit, and he's like, stop. And he spoke and he told me that I don't even believe what I'm praying. Because... Somewhere along the line, something happened when my mother died that I didn't and wasn't able to fully believe anymore that God's going to do what I, what I would pray. 
So what God was interested in that day wasn't about the prayer for my friend. What he was interested in was me getting raw with him and saying, Lord, help my unbelief. Help my faith, Lord. Help me because I'm not. I, I need you to change me. That's life. We live, we all have our thing. We all go through our, our life issues. And if we aren't real and raw with God in it, it's going to be very difficult to live the life that Christ expects of us and believes that we believe we should live. Christ says, I come that you may have life and life more abundantly. You know, the abundant life thing. So you have to be real with God because when you're not real with God, what we're doing is we're really just trying to make ourselves feel better because God already knows. God knew that I didn't really believe like I could for that healing. He knew that, but I was praying a prayer that made it cushy and soft and made me feel better. And God's like, nah. So we got to be real, raw real with God in this life that we're leading for him. People who are going to live the life the rabbi's teaching us to live are risk takers. They're sacrificial, servant, givers, loving, the unlovable, the poor, the outcast, those that it's uncomfortable to love. So here's the deal. Once a disciple of a rabbi in Jewish, in Jewish history and time, once they learned the teaching of the rabbi, and once they lived those teachings of the rabbi, guess what? They get to become a rabbi. And then what happens is they go do the same thing. And they choose for themselves followers. Here's the difference in the third charge. Jesus... We make disciples for him, not for us. In Matthew, the 28th verse, or the 28th chapter, verses 18 to 20, I think we have it up there. Jesus said and told his disciples, I have been given all, say all, all. I have been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments that I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even until the end. This part of following Christ, we can do without. Most Christians can do without this part. It's too inconvenient. It's too time-consuming. It takes too much energy. It takes too much commitment to, to make a disciple. We just choose not to do it. Most of the reason is why we don't do it is because we haven't learned the scriptures where God can edify, build us up, and, and, and motivate and, and, and do what God wants to do in our lives so that we can live the life that God is expecting 
expressing for us so that we may serve and make disciples. You see, it's this latter step. You can't do the next step without the first step. To become a rabbi, we don't become the rabbi. There is the living rabbi, Jesus. See, all the other Jewish rabbis, they died. And they go from generation, and they pass the teachings of the scripture. There wasn't books where they could just break it out and say, yo, do this. They spoke it. So that rabbi would die. The next rabbi would come and continue, continue, continue. It's not like that for us. Jesus is alive. He sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. So we serve him. The big issue with the third charge, we feel unworthy or we haven't obtained to some level of expertise to make disciples. That's what we feel our problem is. But listen, a relationship with Christ is continuous. It's not stagnant. It's constantly developing and moving. Meaning that as our master continues to teach us, we continue to learn. As we see the life of Christ, we continue to live it. So it's not this status level that we must obtain to to make disciples. The truth of it is that we are supposed to teach what God has made true to us. Here's an example real quick. Jesus is Christ. Jesus saves sinners, right? You probably heard that. You've heard that before you got saved. But at some point, someday, something happened where that became true for you. There was this bond that cannot be broken through his word. That's a truth. We know in our hearts, in our lives, that that is a truth now, that no matter what anybody says or any academia or higher education may try to, you know, discredit, it's not going to happen. It's a truth in our hearts. That is what we teach. We teach what Christ taught us through his scriptures and through his life. So listen, we don't know it all. We will never know it all until all is done and known. So don't wait until you've achieved some level of expertise to make disciples or to share the truth That Christ shared with you when his spirit confirmed to your spirit whatever you're studying, whatever the truth is now in your life. He has commanded his people. He says, Here's the thing, and I'm going to close with this. Here's the thing. He says, I have been given all authority. All authority. Here's the thing about authority. Let me give you an example or an illustration. The intersection out here in front of the church. You know, you leave here and you got to go over 17. That intersection, let's say that 
let's say, extremely busy. Traffic is backed up. You go out there and you put up your hand to stop a truck. Do you have in your power the ability to stop that truck with your hand? No. You're toast. You're going to be crushed. But if you have the authority, let's say, of the law, and you go out there as an officer or a person with the authority of the law and put your hand up, that truck stops. We have the authority, a universal authority given by Christ to go and make disciples. Here it is. The police officer, that law official, in and of himself, cannot stop the truck. But what he represents, or who he is under the authority of the law, he can stop the truck. We can't make disciples. God, through his authority, universally given to those who learn and live it. Here's the, here's the truth. He only gives the authority to those who learn it and live it. Not the professing Christian that's not any of that. So to have the authority to make and represent for Christ disciples, we have to be learning it and living it to be able to teach it. Teach the truth. It's bigger than ourselves. Pastor Lucas can't make disciples. The authority that God has given him makes the disciples through him and through you, your circle of influence, your people who you share what you've learned and lived. That power and authority makes disciples. So, Don't get hung up on what you don't know, what you haven't done. It's not about that. It's about God in you doing it. So, Christ is walking down the beach today. And he's looking for followers. He's looking for people who are going to be obsessed with him. People who want to learn it, live it, and then by the authority, teach it. Let us be people who are obsessed with Christ. Let there be a, a, a beach full of coastal people who are obsessed with Christ. That's what it's about. Those four guys, they drop their obsession and change from fishing to Jesus. What is it that needs to be switched in our lives? From shoes to Jesus? Obviously, that's, that's crazy. But the truth is today, by the power of his spirit in this place,
He's moving on some of our hearts today, if not all of them, to be obsessed with him. If that's you, do it. Learn it, live it, teach it. God is a, a, an immense God, but he makes things real simple for us. Real simple for me. Live it, teach it. By his authority, by his power. Let's pray. Father, by the power of your spirit, by the authority of Jesus Christ, we do thank you today, Lord, that that you have found a beach full of obsessed believers for you. I pray and agree together that we would be people from this moment forward, regardless of where we are, of what we've, how far along we've come with you, regardless of that. May today be a milestone, a marker that today we are going to commit to you as a follower to learn it, to live it, and to teach the truth that you have embedded in us. We thank you for that bond that you have, you have made, the transformation of the old to the new. Lord, I pray that you would speak to all our hearts. That we wouldn't just blow this off this morning as another Sunday message, but today would be the day that we have commit to be followers or recommit to be not just followers, but obsessed with you. May our thoughts and our actions be consumed by you. Every day as we awake, may we think of you. May our hunger for your word continually grow. May the empowered presence, the anointing of your spirit, help us to live each day under the, the teaching and under the, uh, the, the moving of the truth of your word. And in doing that, we will make disciples. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this day. I pray your blessings be upon your people as they leave this place. May the meditations of their, of their heart and the words of their mouth be acceptable in your sight, Lord. And We just thank you and love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Lord. This has been a presentation of Coastal Vineyard Church, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information on who we are and how you can support future podcasts, visit us on the web at www.coastalvineyard.org.